organism that survives is not the one that is strongest or smartest or biggest or fastest. It's the one that can adapt to the environment the best. And that that was Charles Darwin. And we have to adapt to this environment. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. Before we get going on this episode, if you find this show and content provides value to you, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a rating and a review on your podcast app. And if you're not a subscriber to the podcast, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Both really do help the show get found by new listeners, and we're all about getting more people in on the conversations we're having here. So with that, my guest today is Keith Sester. He's the general manager at the Ambassador Chicago. How has the job of a hotel GM changed over the past couple of years? This is a question that only something like the pandemic could cause us to ask, because in spite of pre-pandemic musings about culture, employee development, and company growth, the job was quickly moving into managing by spreadsheet territory. Today, we're having discussions about flexibility, development, and attracting new entrants into the industry. Things that almost feel a little foreign, but they're topics that are forcing GMs to find new ways of addressing old problems. What struck me in this conversation was that much of what Keith and I discussed isn't anything new. What's different, however, is that leaders must bring authenticity to their positions now more than ever. You can no longer say one thing and do another. Your team is watching and evaluating what you do and how you do it. And if you don't have enough people on your team because they keep leaving, this might be a you problem, not a them problem. So let's get to it. This is episode 98 of the Proven Principles podcast, Keith Sester on the 21st Century Hotel General Manager. Enjoy. Keith, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. You bet. Why don't you give everyone a little rundown on on who you are? What are you up to these days? Well, I'm currently general manager of the Ambassador Chicago JDB by Hyatt, which uh, opened in 1926 as the Ambassador East. It had a sister hotel, the Ambassador West. It's a really famous hotel here in Chicago. It's the site of a former world-famous pump room that opened uh, in the 1930s and operated under the same name until 2010s, the late 2010s. And uh, yeah, it's a a really cool shop. It's Chicago's original boutique hotel and has a lot of character. I think it's got some sort of voodoo. And uh, yeah, I'm so excited to go into work every day. What else can I say? Those old hotels, there's just something about them. They don't make them like that anymore. They really don't. I mean, it's it's magical when you dig through. I've got pictures even here on my desk right now of this building through various stages of it. And they had big old stag horns and stuff like that on the walls of the dining room and all of this exposed uh, wood, you know, mahogany, oak. It's just, it's got a lot of character. It's a really pretty old lady. Yeah, I love that. What was your path to becoming a hotel GM? You mean where I started originally? Yeah, your, yeah your, kind of your original start and then sort of your maybe the top leapfrogs that got you to where you are. Gotcha. I've been in the service industry since I was 15 years old. My very first job, uh, I worked at a restaurant. I don't know if I should say this, but I will anyway. And they just kind of threw me in there with no training. And I was like 15 years old making mixed drinks and things like that. And then they found <laughs> out, you know, it's like one of those, congrats, you're hired. We need you tonight. And uh, yeah, sorry, it's a long time ago. It's 20 years ago. So try prosecuting me nowadays. Yeah. But <laughs> I did a good enough job that when they finally did my onboarding paperwork that they said, oh my God, you're, you're not old enough to make mixed drinks. What are you doing? You know, I've always been tall. So I guess they thought, I don't know, nobody asked. 
And uh, I liked restaurants. I really enjoyed it. But uh, I worked, you know, jobs here and there. And my mother has been in the hotel industry for a very, very long time since she was around the same age, I would say, in her, her late teens, about 18, 19. She was working uh, at hotels pretty much her entire life. And she was a director of sales and marketing at the time. She said, this is 2005, 2006. And my mother said, hey, there's a job open in your town. This was in Boca Raton, Florida. And uh, she didn't do anything. She just told me, here, go in there, say this, wear this, whoever you meet, focus on these things. Because I've always been a really outgoing person. I had um, my physical education teacher when I was a kid used to say I was like a con man, how I was, I, I would be able to like convince people of things. And you know, I just read a lot of books, that kind of thing, and uh, have a naturally outgoing personality. Loud can be a little obnoxious. And yeah, I just started, started working as a bellman and uh, really enjoyed it and didn't have enough hours, uh, you know, seasonality, how that works in hotels. And so they said, Hey, do you want to work a shift as a houseman? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And uh, after that, they said, hey, you know, you've got a great personality. You should work at the front desk. And I always took a lot of pride in my ability to deal with people, even though I wasn't necessarily educated on it. I was very intuitive about it. I know what people want. And, you know, my my very first GM, a guy named Tony Franzone, gave me a copy of the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he said, hey, if you read this book, you're going to be successful. And I got to tell you, he was right. You know, I, I just, I read the book and I follow the, the rules just as Dale Carnegie outlined in the book, which is keep it on your nightstand and read a chapter every once in a while. And I don't always hold to it. It's not quite the Bible for me. You know, I, we're all human beings. We lose, lose our cool. We do all that stuff. But that's what, kind of what I've been doing over the years. And I always approach things with a servant leadership mentality. I'm always like, what more can I do, you know, to help people? And you get recognized with that. When you like people, you deal with people, then you work your way up. Uh, so uh, through the front office, I moved. I was a supervisor, you know, assistant manager, manager. Night manager was my first. I loved that title, night manager. I was like, you know, <laughs> I just loved that title for whatever reason. I loved that title. And um, that was my very first management gig. And then from there, I've just worked at uh, bigger uh, more illustrious hotels. You know, I've worked at a uh, Waldorf Astoria. I've worked, I opened London House here in Chicago and left as director of operations to get my first GM gig. And then three months later, the world ended. It was, oh man, I was so excited to be a GM, the pre pandemic world. And then it just hit, you know, it hit. Careful what you wish for. Yeah. It's the truth. But, I, you know, I think about that too. I think I, I'm cut out for that. I'm cut out for post-apocalyptic times in management leading leading through the <laughs> apocalypse i think i've got uh i've got the right stuff for that and it's just you have to be especially now and how challenging it is you just have to be a better manager that's it so that's that's where i came from i worked my way up through operations never went to college just worked my way up there's something to be said for that leadership style where you're you're just leading into relationships and you're always trying to provide more value to the people that work with you that was talked about a lot pre-pandemic, but never, pra I shouldn't say never, it was rarely practiced. You didn't really see it that often uh, out in the field. Still sort of a, an old style mentality of, of, you know, do as I say, not as I do, uh, positional authority, all that stuff. But obviously the pandemic has completely flipped that upside down. And, and that leadership style, I imagine, would have been really good to work with people through something so catastrophic. It wasn't just about 
keeping people on board. I mean, you probably went through a process where you had to let a lot of people go, a lot of uncertainty. And maybe, or may you tell me, maybe or maybe not with the foresight uh, or forethought of bringing them back some point in the future. Was that ever in your frame or was it just sort of, in the early days at least, it was just like, we gotta, we gotta stop the bleeding and try to keep the doors open here. So let me just clarify, like to approaching that, approaching everything that was happening, because I was actually also a casualty of the pandemic. I left London House and was in the pre the pre opening stage of my hotel, and I went through and I I laid off probably about 120 folks, and uh, then when I was done, I was laid off myself. But the the trick of that was to just let people keep their dignity. And it was the most, I really do make an attempt to connect with people. I put in a lot of effort when I leave for the day, even if I haven't done one like a paperwork, I'm exhausted. And I actually prefer it that way because that's, you know, this industry is based on relationships and that's it. And I let people keep their dignity. You know, I heard them out. I was pissed as all hell when I got laid off too, because I was like, I went through all of this emotional labor and now I'm getting cut loose. But, you know, it's an understandable business decision. Nobody's in business to lose money. I want to make more money, you know, and I don't think anybody makes enough money for the work that they do in the whole world. So maybe a couple people and uh, <laughs> you know, maybe a couple people. That's what it is. It, yes, it did. It made it both more challenging and more difficult because you realize that there are other people on the other side of the telephone or, or text message or what have you that have livelihoods that they are depending on you for. And you know, they, you weren't really doing them any favors by having a job for them. It was, it was 50, 50, you know, they were commuting from their home to come in and clock in and work at your hotel. And then you got to say, Hey, sorry, you know, so all this family talk, when times are tough, you don't cut, you know, the youngest of your children loose and say, Hey, best of luck. I hope you find another family. It can be tough. You know, it can be tough, but it's not the way that I looked. I looked at it. I, I, I think about it truly that I was in the right spot to, to do that because at least those, there were millions of people that lost their jobs, but at least those 120 people kept their dignity throughout everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good way to put it. And so now fast forwarding to today, by all accounts, everything seems to be done. And I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, be, being on the front lines. Let, why don't you let everybody know, sort of like, what, what's the state of hospitality for you, uh, for your hotel in Chicago, kind of where, where are things at? It's looking up, you know, there's been a rebound, what wasn't indicated when we had all of these different variants or what have you. I think it's kind of just getting back to the basics a little bit uh, to remember that this is, you can only make the COVID, post-COVID excuse for so long. People want to feel love wherever they go. And I'm one of those Maybe it's uh, an inflated sense of uh, self-worth, but I really do feel tied to the people that have done this for, you know, what I would say a thousand years is the, the, the Hans, the inns on the side of the road, uh, Silk Road that uh, was put together by Genghis Khan and so forth. Every religious text mentions the responsibilities of host and guest. And uh, it, yeah, so I feel kind of tied to that. For me, it's just kind of like, great, I can get back to the doing the things that I love instead of wearing masks and gloves and all of these different things. And it, it, which of course it was necessary, you know, it was necessary. I follow the science on it, but human beings are human beings. And I think we've lived through worse and we had a team of the smartest people in the world working on a way to counteract this virus. And so we have to kind of trust the science and 
death is the enemy and we fight pretty hard, you know? So it's pretty cool. You know what I mean? It's cool to get back to it. Like the, at our, at our hotel, I'll tell you that we are all about, this hotel is really special and really unique. And everybody says this about their operating teams. I'm sure every hotel I've ever gone to, I've been told by somebody higher up, Hey, that's a great hotel team. And then you get there and you're like, really? Oh, I, I want to edit that one out, but but still, like <laughs> you know, like no, I, I, we are, anybody listening who's moved to another property gets it. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and you're like, well, you know, for me, the the litmus test is I've worked at four number one rated hotels on TripAdvisor, and I know people that are really passionate about it, and it's probably the thing that people say about me the most. They're not going to say, oh, he's really smart. Or he's really nice. They're going to say, man, that guy's passionate. Because I really do believe that, uh, uh, in what I'm doing. And I take it so seriously. I take it maybe a little too seriously. I just really love what I do. I think it's the best job in the world. That's a good point, though. Because not everybody in the industry has that level of passion. For some people, it's a job. For a lot of people, it's a job. For some people, it's a stepping stone. Other people are passionate and, and they have sort of single focus on getting that to that next position or getting to be a hotel GM or beyond. As we're in this new staffing world here today, because I, I don't know that it makes much sense to compare the labor market to what it was in 2019. Hospitality is totally different, right? So how are you guys approaching, and you, maybe you personally, just as a leader, you know, recognizing that the skills and the mentality and the mindset of the people that you looked for pre-pandemic may not exist anymore. How do you, how are you squaring that? Yeah, I mean, you have to develop it. You have to make a, and it's hard. It's tough work. It's, it's, it's teaching people the perspective of somebody who has the same level of passion as I do. And I know that's not common, but to say some people do see it as a job and that's totally fine. If you listen to any, um, influencers out there, any business influencers, there's a lot of them, you know, on all the social media things. And, and one of the guys I listen to periodically is Gary Vee. And he talks about, you know, servant leadership is a big thing that he talks about. And he says he cannot possibly expect the people that work for him to have the same level of buy-in and commitment to his, his business. It's an unreasonable expectation. And, you know, I, I wonder as we're coming out of this now with this completely different labor market, how do you square having as a GM such a strong passion for the industry and for what you do and the mission of your property where you've got new people coming into the industry that that may have completely different goals and, and perspectives on the industry and just they don't bring that same level of passion and buy-in? I'm just curious how you're dealing with that today. I've been really, really fortunate. I would say that uh, we're we're good here at Ambassador because we have a lot of people who get satisfaction from helping others. I, that's that's what it comes where it comes from for me. It wasn't always apparent to me. I love I love what I do, but there was a time when I was 21 where I was in tears in my FOM's office because I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. And looking back on it now, I'm thinking I just didn't feel appreciated for what I was doing. I think I had people that were very threatened by my level of passion and. You know, it's kind of like growing up in a, in a dysfunctional family, which I'm sure everybody has a horror story. I feel as well. You know, I come from a family of divorce. I don't remember my parents being divorced. I just only remember them, or should I say pre-divorce? I don't remember my mother and father except for a handful of times that might pop into my head here and there. Um, you know, I only remember my parents being divorced. And then, 
you're in this situation where you don't have the perspective, experience, knowledge to understand that huh, stuff is pretty fucked up. You know what I mean? Like, so anyhow, you how do you square that? You have to find people that are looking to get their their little gold star. For me, my gold star is seeing the satisfaction on somebody else's face. And then, you know, the I can't remember who it was. It was one philosopher, another who said, the people who, uh, you know, exhibit the greatest altruism have the biggest egos. And that's what, that's kind of what it is. It's like, you know, I, I am very confident. I love myself and I want other people to feel love and I want other people to feel like I'm being considerate. And that's honestly where it comes from. I just, man, I love making people happy when I know I've, sh- I've shared a uniquely special human moment. That's all it is. It's just going from moment to moment for me. Like, okay, how am I going to give of myself to this person? That's, that's what gives me satisfaction. Not everybody's like that, but everybody's looking for like a little patch. Some people it's making sure that, you know, their compensation is just right on point and they will give you absolutely the best performance that they can with some discretionary effort because they feel like they're being treated fairly. Other people just want a pat on the back. I hate to admit how much I love an attaboy, but I do. I really do. Like when somebody's like, you did good. I'm like, did I really me? You know, like, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I like to hear why, yeah. like I have a great awareness of myself. I, I, I know that about me. You know, I know that I walk into literally every advantage or every situation thinking that I have the advantage, even one versus 20. I'm like, all right, it's a, we're a little bit more equally matched now, you know? I feel like they might be a little outnumbered. Everybody wants to learn something and it's about engaging them in the things that are important to them. Not everybody has the dream to be a hotel GM. That's fine. Not everybody wants to be partner at the firm. Try to find and put people into positions where they're going to be successful. And you still have to maintain standards. I don't think it's, I I don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be. I, I mean, at least from the perspective of working here at ambassador, simply because, you know, management's management. And I've been, leading this way since pre-pandemic, which is just building relationships with people. And that's communication, consistency, and trust. That's all it is. And when you're coaching somebody or you're, you know, you're going in and you're pointing out all of the things that are wrong in the restaurant, somebody stands up to you and says, you're being negative. Instead of being like, I'm the GM and I know better and all that, you say, well, why do you feel that way? And you want, it's just be a good person and you're not going to struggle and making sure that that pull through gets to the line level team, not just relying upon your managers to do it, but getting up there, walking the floors and talking to people. I also have the fortune to work at a a hotel with two, you know, workforces that are represented by two collective bargaining agreements. So in those areas, nobody's going anywhere. And I'm really fortunate about that because that's where the greatest impact has been felt. But, you know, even pre-pandemic, you know, you'd hear about these uh, pre-pandemic no, you know, nobody wants to work anymore, which is something that people have been saying for a million years. And they've also been saying, well, if you, if you don't like your compensation, you don't like your working conditions, find a better job. Well, they did. <laughs> and that's why you're having a tough time finding, finding good people in your hotels, you know? Yeah. And that's actually, this is a really good segue into, into this, Jesus, the new labor market here for a while. I still see this periodically. Job ads would would promote signing bonuses five hundred thousand, two thousand dollars, whatever the number was. We have all heard the stories about. It's not even really wage creep anymore. It's like wage broad jumps, <laughs> where they're just like there's these huge increases in hourly rates. What is the labor market like now? What are candidates looking for from your perspective? And 
Is there more to it than just putting out a high, a high hourly rate and a signing bonus to try to get somebody to apply for a job? Flexibility. They want flexibility. Depending on the position, you can offer it and you should be willing to give as much of it as you can. I don't know where this comes. I don't feel personally offended when somebody says, I want more money for the job that I'm doing. I really don't. Uh, and that's because, like I said earlier, I don't think anybody in the world makes enough money for the work that they do, not one person. So people say they want to raise the minimum wage. Great. Yes, please. Go right ahead. What kind of a leader am I if I'm like, no, 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 you know, no. What are you talking about? You want to have money for fun and for food? No, pick one. Obviously, I have a business to run and I've got to make sure that my margins are right and I've got to make sure that everything makes sense. And sometimes somebody is so qualified or, or, or so committed that I just simply can't afford them. And that's fine because they are going to land a job out there. People are literally begging for it. And every candidate that walks into an interview has some sort of an advantage. And, you know, I'm just building good karma by offering people the absolute best deal that I can. I always tell people, hey, I'm not going to negotiate with you. This is the best offer that I can make. And people appreciate that. And uh, it's not me trying to pull a fast one. It's just saying, hey, listen, I'm not I'm not your adversary ever. You and I are on the same team. I want you to be able to sleep at night. And I want to sleep at night knowing that I've treated you fairly. You bring up a really interesting point is that that, that interview process is often seen as adversarial. Is I need to win something right out of the gate in this, right? This is a negotiation and I'm trying to claim as much land as I can get. And if you're starting your employment journey with an organization with butting heads right out of the gate and somebody has to lose in that, in that back and forth, that really sets the tone for like really not a great experience for anybody. I agree. You're absolutely right. It's like, let's start off on the right foot. Let's start off with I will make you the absolute best offer that I can to show you how much I value your experience and your time. And then again, don't try to extract something from somebody. You're, you're trying to add a key piece to your team. And if that's the case, you know, if it's not a key piece to your team, then why are you, why are you hiring the position? Everybody's important. Everybody's important. This is, it, it ties, and I, got, I don't want to get too philosophical here, but uh, somebody, you know, tying into that nobody gets enough money, you know, for the work that they do. I firmly believe that. And I had, I was having a conversation with one person one time, names changed to protect the innocent. And they were giving me a lot of advisement about things. And I was like, that's great. Thank you so much. And they said, yeah, you know, I'm not just a bartender. And I said, now, wait, wait a second. Let me, let me stop you right there. Did I ever give you the impression that I thought you were less than me because you are a bartender? And they said, no. And I said, good. Because the re like nobody is just anything. If there is work to do, it's good work. And that person is going to work to feed their family. They're, they're, they're commuting, they're driving their car, paying to come in, to clock in and work at my hotel. And that's a privilege. You know, I, I think of it from that perspective. And that's the truth. Like anybody can think, you're never going to hear me say that because it's not something that I believe. I'm not like, oh, well, they just, no, to hell with that. The only difference in the level, the only difference that I would say in what somebody is or whatnot, it's the level of expectations and responsibility and integrity that they have to demonstrate. People in positions where there isn't as much scrutiny can slack a little bit. I can't slack. And not just that, if there were, were an emergency, I'm not going to tell the bartender to stay behind, but I'm going to be the tip of the spear. I'm going to be there. I'll be the last person out of the building. 
And that's the only person in the building. I'm the only person in the building. The GM is the only person in the building who has that level of expectation. Nobody is just anything. Every job, every position is extremely important. That's a lot to chew on there. I I completely agree with you. And I'm thinking back to, this is kind of the culture discussion that I always end up coming back to, or I, I frequently end up having on the show where I think you're spot on. Nobody's just anything. And in spite of the best efforts of the GM, who more times than not is the culture, I hesitate to say culture keeper, but they definitely set the tone in their property. In spite of the best efforts, sometimes that culture doesn't permeate down for a lot of reasons. It could be anything from people being territorial and threatened by by others to name your thing, right? Sometimes I know you work in a union environment and sometimes it's really difficult to, to get your culture down sort of in, in some of these more entrenched organized hotels for various reasons. Not always, sometimes it is. As the GM and the person who is responsible for carrying the flag and setting the tone in an environment that you want to get into every day, because you could very easily you know, not care and then you hate your job because you hate where you do it because nobody is aligned and doing the things that you want to do, right? So it really does sort of rest on your shoulders. You talked about it a little bit earlier, but maybe if you could kind of get into the meat of it a little bit, how do you, how do you make sure that what is printed in all of your HR documents and it's on the slogans in the cafeteria and all of this stuff is really internalized and makes its way down through the organization so that it is a place that you, Keith, the general manager, actually want to work every day? Sometimes it's the hill you got to die on. It's just never blink. You had said it earlier too, and it was really good. Do as I say, not as I do. Or speaking in terms that people just don't understand or don't relate to, you know, like people talk about who gives a damn. There's not a single operating, when I say somebody on the floors right now, cleaning rooms, they don't care about GOP. Don't talk about GOP. Talk about the level of service that you want to provide. Like I said, I've been very fortunate. The level of service that you want to provide because it benefits everybody. Giving our best to the world benefits everybody, including ourselves, because it builds habits of excellence. You know, I always retreat to what I love and what I do, and you just have to be unbending with that. And some people want to make value judgments about others. I only have two things that I would say are absolutely non negotiable. And you can't be picky. Like if it's in your handbook, and it says people can have piercings and tattoos and different colored hair, then your personal feelings don't matter one bit. Get over it, be an adult, and just say, yes, okay, this person is going to give their best. That's all I care about. I don't care. All of this, it's not a uniform. This is the uniform. This is, your heart is the uniform. And I remember, I distinctly remember this, and I tell this story a lot. When I'm giving that example, when I'm coaching somebody like, hey, why did you tell that person to take out their lip piercings? Oh, well, corporate was here. Whatever. I don't care. It's in the handbook. They can wear it. Don't, we're, we don't have extra rules. You know, I remember I was working at a hotel that was number one rated on TripAdvisor. I had gotten a ton of mentions on our guest service scores, uh, one, on, one on TripAdvisor. I had worked six days. I did this event by that resort's pool and so forth. And I remember after the fact to say thank you, the GM said, you know, you should really cut your beard. And I was like, uh, okay, thanks. You know, I appreciate the recognition. And 
it's uh it's just that it, it's you know the people the old guard the people who are like i had it bad so other people need to have it bad they're going to be gone in five years they're not going to survive they're going to get their their workforces are going to get mobilized or whatever's going to happen is going to happen those people can't survive in this industry anymore and I will give myself a little bit of credit here. I haven't always been on the cutting edge, but I haven't been far behind. But the way that I've been thinking is is very far ahead of where we were pre-pandemic. It, it's more in line with where it is now post-pandemic. And I'm, I'm even stretching it a little bit further. I brought up work from home and without even another thought, GMs were like, no, no, I, I could, you know, there's absolutely no way. And they just got to you just kind of got to get over it. You got to focus on the mission, which is taking care of people. Your job is to take care of people. You are a shepherd, you know, you have to shepherd your flock through, through all conditions. The buck stops with you. I know all of these are platitudes, but platitudes, but it's the truth. And that's how you navigate it. You, you learn to be a better person. If you're having difficulty post pandemic, learn to be a better person because people will work for you if they like you. I like the way you said that. And, you know, right before we wrap the show here, the title of this episode, the 21st Century Hotel General Manager, whatever we are, we're, you know, two decades into the 21st century. So, you know, we're a little, a little late in here, but, you know, you work for a big company and I don't want you to put anybody on the spot, but you've been around the industry for a long time. A lot of the listeners have too. And there's something to be said for especially people in senior level positions who have made it through the pandemic and made it, who've been in the industry long enough to have been through previous crises and have made it through those two. And over time, when you're in senior leadership, your way of thinking gets molded into, especially going through crisis like this, is becomes self-preservation. And you're effectively, you get to a place where your job is dependent on you thinking about things and acting a certain way. And if you learn to do things a new way, that could that could disrupt your own status quo. And so you're incentivized to not do that. We're so far ahead today of where we were a couple of years ago. And you just said it here, you know, people that aren't thinking about things in this new way, in five years, they're going to be gone. And I think that's a really important piece to land on here and not in a negative way, but just in that if your success as a leader, and I really do believe this, is predicated on getting great work done through other people, kind of the true definition of, of successful leadership. If you can't do that anymore because people don't want to work for you, because you're not recognizing the way, the, the new way that people want to work and the new way that they expect your leaders to interact with them, then somehow you've got to find that self-awareness to look in the mirror and be like, oh, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I need to change. There's not really a question here. It's really just sort of more of a state stating the obvious, but it's just so difficult to get that message to people to, to internalize that and really push the envelope forward, really re recreate this industry, the back end of this industry that guests never see, except for how employees bring themselves to work every day. And when there's no employees around to bring that work, I do believe that that's a problem at the top. That's not a that's not a problem with whatever the signing bonus is going to be, or because that I'm rambling here. I think you get my point, but I just love to to get your perspective on that and kind of how you're approaching this. Just specifically, how I'm approaching managing now post pandemic, or like adopting to the new way to do things, or 
Can you sort of, you know, as you're a beacon to the people within your building, can you demonstrate through different ways how to help some people who are struggling, who are your contemporaries, to help them along the path as well? That's a good one. Remember why you go to work every day. What I do, I have a strong sort, strong core set of values that have to do with serving those who serve others. I'm probably, I'm not always this happy-go-lucky, nice guy. I'm probably nicest to service service staff everywhere I go. Those people, anywhere I go, I get treated like a king because I, I know what they're going through. Hey, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm a human being too. I lose, like I said, I lose my temper. I've stormed out of meetings before. I've, I've dismissed everybody. I've done, I'm not always, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You know, things boil over, um, especially when they're serious, but it can't be everything. And people asking you to make their jobs easier does not mean you are a bad boss because you didn't have every good idea, but being a bad boss is completely discounting somebody's suggestion without giving it an iota of thought and people i would just say this like the organism that survives is not the one that is strongest or smartest or biggest or fastest it's the one that can adapt to the environment the best now that, that was charles darwin and we have to adapt to this environment and if you're not the type of person that brings passion to work and loves others you have to you have to love others how could you Work in an industry where your only job is to serve other people, to provide service to other people and not enjoy it. You don't like that. Be a mortician. Do something else. Like Do something where the eyes aren't all on you. I told you the satisfaction that I get from going to work every day, it's not from being this big shot. It's from negotiating with somebody, even when you're in a position of great strength and making a fair deal with them. It's treating every last person in the hotel regardless of what their daily responsibilities are, even if it's public area attendant or a room attendant, treating their word as important as the one for your RVP. You know, when they say, I want, somebody stops you in the hallway and says, hey, you know, we need a vinyl or a rubber apron instead of these cloth ones because it's making my, my apron wet while I'm doing dish. Done. Consider it done. Sometimes you can't look at the statement. You got to just take a hit on the P&L and say, yeah, this is this is something that was going to make the lives of my people easier. And the way that you do that is not by being a number cruncher, you know. It's moving forward, but it's also going back to the uh you know, the days of yesteryear where it's like, you know, the hotelier or the basil faulty. That maybe that's a bad comparison, but you know, no, it's the truth. It's you you have to you can't have an ego, you know. It, even if you have an ego like me, you have to you you have it, the ego should be a tool for you. Okay, this is what I think of myself. Let me make this person feel that way about themselves. And I mean, everybody says the same thing. Every GM says the same thing on these podcasts. I'm sure of it, right? But it has to be here. It cannot be just here, or uh, you know, you, you have to you have to walk the walk and to to help people that are going through the same thing. Growth is recognizing that you can be toxic as well. And it's identifying your own toxicity and just try to leave people better than the way that you found them, like in every way. And be flexible. Say, hey, what do you need from us? What do you need You need from us? And uh, here's what we can offer. You always make everybody, make everybody the fairest deal that you can right off the bat. 
if not, if, you know, if you're struggling with it and it really identified, like I said, I struggled with it when I was 21. I had, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I could reach out to the people who had that conversation with me where I just didn't understand what was happening. Uh, I didn't understand why I felt the way that I felt going into work every day. And I'm not ashamed to say it's happened to me more than once at various stops throughout my career, but I probably have a bad day at work once every 200 days, like a bad day at work where I'm like, man, I should have been a scientist or something like that. But generally it's, it's come, it comes from a, a place of where everything's just happening all at once. And I realize like I'm giving so much to other people that I, I made no time for myself, uh, which happens to, you know, I'm last on the priority list when it comes to care. I guess to answer your question too, just listen, right? Like really listen. Don't hear what you think they said. Don't do the speculation. Like people do all of this investigative detective work where they're like, well, why this, why that? Don't tune out all of the noise and just focus on the relationships. Communicate with your people, be consistent, say one thing. You know, if you're going to say the sky is blue today, say the sky is blue the next day, like communicate the truth. Don't be false. People can real, people can see through that stuff so quickly and foster a mutual trust. I trust everybody until you give me a reason not to trust. People say, oh, you have to earn trust. No, I will trust you off the bat. And then if I learn that I can't trust you, that's when things change. And I'll probably give you more than one opportunity. I'm a very forgiving person. You have to stop seeing everything as a challenge or or stop trying to fit things into this mold. Allow things to grow. You can't. Tradition is great, but those people were inventors. So the way that you honor them isn't by continuing to go back to do what they did. The way you honor them is be an inventor yourself and change things yourself and be an agent of that change and uh, represent that change and don't falter. Keith, I'd love to keep running down this conversation here. I think this is important to have for the industry and I admire what you're doing and trying to lead the way and, and be a, a, new, a new type, air quote, new type of GM as we sort of come out and sort of new type. Yeah. Just try to figure out, you know, where, where things are at, but I know you got a busy hotel and you got a lot of things to do. So I appreciate you taking some time to be on the show today. But before we wrap, if anybody wants to learn more about you or the ambassador Chicago, where should they go? LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn. You know, there's a couple of press releases on there. Just reach out to me, you know, reach out to me, uh, send me an email or, or whatever it is or connect. I am always looking to, to connect with people who try to be the best at what they do. I'm not the best at what, what I do, but I'm trying to be. And, you know, iron sharpens iron. So, yeah, reach out to me anytime. I'm, I'm open to a discussion. AmbassadorChicago.com. Uh, that'll redirect you to our brand site. We've got a vanity website agreement on my desk here right now that we're getting signed. There's also tons of books uh, about this hotel. A very famous film was filmed here by Alfred Hitchcock, North by Northwest. It's got a rich history. But again, LinkedIn is probably the biggest one. Reach out to me because I, as I've said about self-care, self-love, all that stuff. Don't follow me on Instagram. Let's put it that way. Unless you want to see a bunch of semi-poetic <laughs> musings and uh, pictures of cats. Love it. Keith, I uh, appreciate your time. Thanks again. Thanks, Adam. Have a good one. This was my episode with Keith Sester. You can learn more about him on LinkedIn and the Ambassador Chicago at ambassadorchicago.com. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For past episodes or to get in touch with us, just go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at the Proven Principles Podcast, or you can find us on LinkedIn. 
I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.